following is a presentation of Prepared to Answer, a ministry devoted to seeing a new generation of Christians experience life transformation through a renewed mind by teaching them to think like Jesus. In 2015, Pew Research reported that for every individual who becomes a Christian, four leave. More recently, there have been many examples of notable Christians, be they musicians or writers, speakers or pastors, who have publicly announced their deconversion from Christianity. Reactions have been mixed, often emotional, sometimes harsh. But most of us are just bewildered, wondering what's going on and what we should do about it. In thinking through the issues around deconversion and our response, there are three things I think are worth considering. The first is that deconversion isn't new. Whether the truly saved can lose their salvation is a theological question, with a long history of debate. But wherever you happen to land on that matter, there's something that we can all agree on. The New Testament presents ample evidence of people who at one point were considered followers of Jesus, and then they weren't. One example was Demas, a close companion of the Apostle Paul. In writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. It's hard to imagine anyone more deserving of the title Christian than someone Paul considered a fellow worker in gospel ministry. How could someone so clearly identified with the Christian faith turn from it? The only explanation given by Paul is that Demas fell away because he loved this world. The sad truth is that sometimes people who appear strong in their faith fall away. This should grieve and concern us. We should feel burdened over it. But asking whether or not they were truly saved in the first place isn't really helpful. Jesus makes it so clear on more than one occasion that only those who stand firm to the end, as he says in Matthew 10 and Mark 13, will be saved. On the bright side, we must remember that there's still hope for the deconverted. We're never really told what happened to Demas. Perhaps he slipped away from Christianity never to return, or maybe like John Mark, another of Paul's companions who apparently deserted him at one point, Demas was eventually restored into faith and Christian fellowship. God only knows. But thank God that so long as it's called today, there's still opportunity for anyone to turn or return to Christ. The second thing we need to remember is that sometimes deconversion is a good thing. C.S. Lewis once wisely said, If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. In 2006, the Barna Group raised the alarm about a growing exodus from the church among millennials. Figuring out why has occupied the attention of Christian researchers ever since. One of the findings was the widespread growth among millennials of a mutant form of Christian faith that was labeled moralistic therapeutic deism, hereafter MTD. MTD seems to be comprised of a number of loosely formed, very general beliefs, like the idea that God, as our Creator, simply wants us to be kind and treat each other fairly, that the central goal of life is to be happy, that God isn't particularly involved in our day-to-day -day lives, but is available to call on when we have problems that need solving, and that good people go to heaven when they die. Whether a growing number of churches actually preach MTD as a basic body of doctrine and belief or if MTD is all that people are ever picking up from their Christian experience isn't the point. The point is, if someone is devoted to a counterfeit Christianity, then they're in spiritual bondage. In that case, deconversion 
is the necessary first step toward finding true faith. Regrettable, however, is the sour taste toward Christianity left by a negative counterfeit that people have experienced. And this serves as a sober reminder for us, especially those of us in church leadership positions, to heed Paul's warning and exhortation to watch your life and doctrine closely. The third thing we need to consider is that deconversion may signal a need for God's refinement. It's also possible that people are deconverting because many Christian churches aren't being very Christian. In his book, The Anatomy of Deconversion, John Marriott's interviews with hundreds of deconverted Christians identified both emotional and intellectual reasons for deconverting. Both expose some very unchristian church experiences. In terms of emotional reasons, many former Christians reported deep emotional hurt received from churches or church leaders as the cause for their deconversion. In some cases, it was negative treatment they'd received or outright rejection from the church. For others, it was deep disappointment and disillusionment over things like mistreatment by church leaders or the moral failures of notable public Christian figures. As for intellectual reasons, in many other cases, people gave up their faith after unsuccessfully dealing with doubts. They cited wrestling over problems with the Bible, the seeming incompatibility between science and the Bible, and the influence of prominent and vocal atheists, whose arguments against Christianity seemed compelling to them. Some reported growing up in churches that never allowed exposure to the kinds of questions that eventually led them away down the road of doubt. They described how expressing doubts in their church was equated with lacking or weak faith. Many felt like they were looked down upon for voicing them. This led to what Marriott cites as acquired incredulity syndrome, which is the inability to continue to believe in the face of growing contrary evidence. It's easy to be critical, and of course, interview-based research, while helpful, only tells a very small and one-sided part of the story. However, to the extent that these interviews expose a pattern, this should serve as a wake-up call for all of us who make up Christ's church. I'm reminded of Jesus' warning. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Wow, that's quite a warning. Deconversion stories can be hard and even hurtful to listen to, but if there is any truth to be learned from them, then I think the cost is worth it. Rather than recoil and close our ears, perhaps we need to take some time, like the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, to make sure that we have not set up stumbling blocks which make it difficult for people to follow Jesus. These are just a few reflections on the deconversion phenomena that we seem to be facing. They highlight the complexities involved and how reluctant we should be to dismissing them out of hand as simply because of whatever. I appreciate those like John Marriott who've taken the time to listen closely to deconversion stories. I think we can learn a lot from them. But let's remember that deconversion isn't a new problem for the church, nor does it require a new solution. In 1 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul writes, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. This may have been a hard truth for young Timothy to hear, but Paul knew that he needed to hear it. Like us, he saw people falling away due to false teaching, controversies, corrupt leaders, and other church dysfunctions. Pretty overwhelming stuff for a young leader to deal with. Like many today, those churches required some much-needed refinements for which Paul gave Timothy some specific advice. 
But there's only so much that Paul could cover in one or two letters. Since he wasn't sure when he'd see Timothy again, he reminded him of the anchor that regardless of whatever specific challenges he may face, he needed to tie his life and ministry too for the sake of the church and the gospel. And I think this is what we need to hear too. So in the very middle of Paul's letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, Paul writes, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. The positioning of this Christ-centered hymn in the very middle of Paul's letter is strategic. In chapter 2 and 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul instructed Timothy on how churches should conduct themselves. In chapter 4 that follows, how to deal with the false teaching that would cause some to, as he said, abandon the faith. As it is in our day, so it was in Paul's. Some fall away because of churches with bad teaching. Others because of churches with bad behavior. Paul's abiding solution, regardless of the particulars, was this. Return to Christ the source of all true godliness. The basic outline of Paul's words here tell us what we most need to know, live, and proclaim. Where Christ's appearing in the flesh and return up in glory encapsulate his life, ministry, and reign, Jesus is the focal point of God's purpose, heaven's worship, the needed news for the nations, and the truth that saves the world. I see two takeaways here from Paul. The first is this. Maybe you're wrestling with doubts, fearing a deconstructing of your own faith. Whatever particular misgivings you have, remember that the critical question to ask and answer is the one Jesus posed to his disciples. In Matthew 16, he asked them this, Who do you say that I am? Until you've really wrestled with this question, you have not wrestled with Christianity. With whatever faith you have, ask God to help you answer that question above every other. The second is this, for those of us in the church, wondering what to do about this deconversion trend, whatever else we do, Paul seems to be very clear. If we can keep our gaze and our worship, our living and our teaching and message fixed on Jesus, the rest will fall into place. It's that simple. But clearly, not always easy. To close, I want to point you to a couple recommended resources. Two useful books to further help you study and understand the influences behind deconversion stories and how to overcome them. The first is a book published this year by the Gospel Coalition entitled, Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. And the second is the book that I referenced earlier by John Marriott, The Anatomy of Deconversion, Keys to Lifelong Faith in a Culture Abandoning Christianity. Thanks for listening. I hope this was a helpful overview for you of some of the issues surrounding deconversion. And as always, if you have any more questions, you can always contact me at info at preparedtoanswer.org. The preceding has been a part of the recording ministry of Prepared to Answer. For more resources to help you become more confident in living out and defending your faith in Jesus Christ, visit us at www.preparedtoanswer.org or on Facebook and Instagram at Prepared to Answer. Thanks for joining us, and may the Lord bless and keep you.